Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ALR PRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international law firms for international legal issues. At ALR PRA, we help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is intellectual property attorney Nancy K. Ducharme, who has nationwide clients who employ her law firm's services for advertising copy review and advice, as well as copyright and trademark searches, registration, and litigation defense. Attorney Ducharme has over 20 years' experience in copyright and trademark matters, as well as ad copy review. Her website is www.nkdlaw.com. We do welcome callers today and ask you to call in with your questions. Uh, by telephone number 917-889-9732. You can press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the caller queue. Please, when calling in, try to mute your phone while waiting to make a comment so we can avoid background noise. Of course, you can also send questions in directly about show topics or programming at nick at alrpra.com. Again, that's N-I-C-K at alrpra.com. With Law Talk Radio in the subject line. Now, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney client relationship, and our programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views expressed on our shows are always welcomed. ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests, and finally, all callers remain confidential, and I'll write to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Um, so without further ado, I want to let you know that, uh, well, before we go, we have a quick announcement. Sponsor, uh, Mary Lane has an announcement. Mary Lane, who works to help professionals learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers, on March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will be conducting a hands-on Leadership for Women workshop for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held in the large boardroom at ALRPRA's office at 35 East Wecker Drive in Chicago, and ALRPRA is sponsoring this event when your registration fees, making this a free event for you. So do come by, enjoy a light breakfast, and enjoy this pragmatic, acclaimed executive leadership workshop. Space is limited, so register today by emailing Nick, N-I-C-K, at ALRPRA.com with women rainmakers and business leaders in the subject line if you'd like to reserve your complimentary seat at this workshop. ALRPRA is the Chambers Business Suites tenant, and we'd like to thank Chambers Business Suites for co-sponsoring this event. Now, today for today's subject matter, advertising, marketing, and branding agencies develop creative campaign strategies. Too often, however, the creative does not square with legal. Having trained in advertising copy review when working at Sidley Austin LLP earlier in her career, attorney Nancy K. Ducharme has contributed to legal review and analysis to countless media campaigns. Join our discussion today if you again want by area code 917-889-9732, option one for the queue. So we introduce Nancy K. Ducharme. Nancy, how are you today? I'm good, thank you, Nick. How are you? I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and your callers. Great. I'm glad that you took out your valuable time to help us today. So we're going to be talking about ad copy review, and we're going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, the things that people can do so they can avoid falling into a trap. So if you could first tell us a little bit about your practice and your background and how that relates uh, and adds into ad copy review. Uh, when I was first uh, starting at my former law firm, which is a large international uh, firm uh, that's well-known in this practice area, uh, I someone made the bright insight that uh, ad copy review is like a law school exam. And any of the listeners who may have attended law school know exactly what that means. Kind of a kitchen sink issue spotting approach that could be chock full of all kinds of legal uh, obstacles. And so typically even a small uh, ad spot, radio campaign, uh, 30-second spot, you know, there are going to no doubt be issues dealing with false advertising concerns, uh, perhaps a right of publicity issue, copyright, uh, trademark matters. 
And uh, so you really have to be on your toes looking out for these issues. And I think there are often a lot of marketing folks who don't really appreciate uh, some of the some of the issues. They're they're focused on the creative aspect and and uh, what they do best and trying to reach the target market. Um, but they need to be mindful of the legal issues or things can blow up and and uh, turn a great creative campaign into something uh, that leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. So. Um, getting the legal team on board is, is a really critical component for um, advertisers. Mm-hmm. Well, that is our roadmap of what we're going to be talking about today. So um, when going in, in, in law school, did you, you know, going into intellectual property, is this something that you thought would be something of interest that you brought from another career uh, or another area, or how did you get into the ad copy? Um, I actually took an advertising law course when I was in law school at DePaul University Law School, um, which was a very enjoyable course and appreciated that, and and I took a few uh, intellectual property courses as well. Um, But I have a background in marketing. Um, I had uh, studied uh, for an MBA at the University of Notre Dame, and my concentration is in marketing, so I took some advertising classes Uh, in pursuing that degree, and I worked in the marketing field for a few years before going to law school. So um, I I think that um, I certainly appreciate uh, the marketing uh, area concerns because I I come from that business environment, and um, I'm sensitive to uh, the the need to, again, not stifle the creative, but trying to figure out a solution and and how we can best address some of the legal concerns and, and, and lower the risk. Uh, so that the client is not faced with uh, a lawsuit, which is the worst scenario. Obviously. Um, well, not necessarily, but yeah, <laughs> I'll agree with you. <laughs> okay, what are some initial questions? What are some forms of advertising copy with which you have worked and with which we should be aware? Um, well, advertising can take all different forms. Um, and, you know, now we've got the Internet with its various um, challenges, uh, social media you know, is it um, new wine in an old bottle? I mean, is is the fact that this is another form of a media channel, does that mean that, uh, you know, we have new concerns in the law? Not really. I think that it just means we have another um, area that we need to be concerned of, another place we can we can mess it up. Um, and sometimes the law is still shaking out in, on these areas. Where, uh, I just attended a seminar last week, for example, and one of the presentations was dealing with um, trademark issues in the online universe, and that uh, means, you know, what happens if someone wants to name um, themselves on Facebook after their favorite brand and incorporate that brand name in their username for Facebook? You know, what rights would the brand owner have to object to that, or is that a good thing? Are you somehow losing your your brand identity? Um, And then we have the whole virtual world like Second Life, where there is actually some trademark uses going on and um, either positive or negative brand images that go on in that. So we have some new challenges with the Internet, but by and large the principles are the same. And I have worked in the past in reviewing copy for everything from billboards to direct mail to uh, television and radio spots. So, uh, again, the issues are the same regardless of whatever form the ad takes. Mm-hmm. And we are going to get into a little more of this meat a little bit later in the show, but uh, let me just ask you what a typical scenario is when someone calls you for ad copy. Is it a proactive or is it a reactive situation? Again, we'll go into this a little bit more later, but what is most common? I think the prudent uh, advertising agency or in-house um, marketing person who is ever in charge of uh, coming up with the creative is going to do their uh, homework beforehand, is going to have the the draft um, shown to an attorney, and, and maybe this is even before they show it to the client, because um, there have been situations, for example, let's say where um, an advertising agency or um, a marketing group have come up with um, a slogan. And you build a whole platform around that, and then later on, a little too late in the game, a trademark search is conducted, and it turns out that a competitive entity is already using that and has established prior common law rights. So the release and use of that identical slogan or one that's very close to it uh, for something that is competitive would certainly generate an objection, if not a lawsuit. so you, it would be a big strategic mistake from the advertising agency perspective to 
have your client fall in love with your creative output and then have to give them the bad news that, oops, sorry, uh, we jumped the gun, it's really not available. So um, it's smart to get the legal team on board as quickly as possible to make sure that uh, you're in front of the problem, you, you are aware of the issues, and when you present the options to the client, you're, you're doing it um, with an array of, of choices and, and uh, things that you're at least fairly comfortable may be available for their use. Okay. As we move forward, and we will again explore some of these in depth in our follow-up segments during this program, but if we could just touch on a few of the common areas of concern in advertising copy review, what would those be? Um, well, there are a number of them, and of course there are a lot of government um, entities that you have to be concerned about as well. Um, but one of the key areas is the difference between what's known as puffing um, and um, a factual statement or some sort of claim that is going to require um, proof. And uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, uses the phrase prior substantiation. Uh, so you have to have in your pocket, and it doesn't mean you need to submit it to any government agency for approval, but, but have it ready in your files. If someone is to challenge your claim, if you say, well, this battery X uh, outperforms the competitive battery uh, two to one, or you know, it outlasted by X number of hours, you should have done your homework and scientific lab tests uh, and have that data available in the event that someone challenges that claim. Um, you can't go back later and try to paper the, the file uh, to prove it later on. That would be substantiation after the uh, advertising has aired, and, and that's not what's required. Again, it's prior substantiation. So before um, that advertising copy has hit the public, you need to have done your homework. Um, if you're making a claim that, you know, hey, we're the greatest, um, that, that falls in the category of puffing. You know, um, the general public is used to that sort of claim. They know that it's, a, it's an exaggeration, that it's not to be taken literally. But you start to put more context into that. Um, you know, we are considered the greatest by all consumers who have been surveyed. Well, now you, have better, you better have that data to back that up. You should have done the appropriate uh, statistical analysis to make sure that you have uh, backing for that claim. Mm -hmm. um, in what type of context would that arise where someone says, you said you're the best of all people surveyed or polled, um, who would be a likely person who would have beef with that uh, to bring it to the, ad the advertisers? Oh, there can be any number of challengers, unfortunately, and that, that's what makes this a difficult area. You've got the federal government, um, the Federal Trade Commission, which is in in charge is the unit of the government that is uh, in charge of unfair competition law. Um, and by the way, the FTC.gov website has some very helpful guides, including some guides to small businesses uh, and, and some advertising issues. Um, and they deal with warranty language and, and um, a few other things. Um, there are also some um, aggressive attorneys general in various states who will uh, sometimes act on their own, representing their constituents in their jurisdiction, or sometimes attorneys general will band together uh, and you know, be a very powerful governmental unit uh, in challenging um, a, a national campaign um, if the Federal Trade Commission had lacked the resources to attack that particular ad. You know, they may have a lot on their plate, and uh, sometimes the state AGs have banded together. Uh, you can have a competitor sue you for false advertising, and, and that's not just for false advertising claims you're making about their product, uh, which they may believe are disparaging or false or some sort of trade libel, but actually for false claims you're making about your own product, because if indeed you're diverting sales away from them in favor of your product by virtue of the false statement, uh, then they have suffered as well. So competitors can sue. Uh, consumers may sue in a class action suit, which is a risk, and uh, there could be a number of advocacy groups out there as well that uh, will, will uh, form a challenge. So, um, and, and, and don't forget, too, there's always the, the court of public opinion. Uh, a sour ad campaign um, is going to generate a lot of negative publicity. Um, so it, uh, it, it's a kind of unfortunate thing that instead of getting the appropriate response, you've gotten the exact polar opposite and have really damaged your reputation in the marketplace. 
Well, that is something that we certainly want to be uh, keen to and not damage our reputation. So many people in so many companies have departments, staff full of people spending a lot of time here, so it seems uh, prudent to get it right instead of getting it wrong. So we're going to pause now for identification and ask anyone who is listening to uh, consider calling in if they have a question about their ad copy review. Uh, 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. You are listening to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. Our first commercial sponsor today actually comes from our guest. It's from the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The law office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review, and you can get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com. Our next announcement comes from Sales Results Incorporated and Steve Fretzen. If you're an attorney struggling with developing your book of business, try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys double or even triple their books of business through targeting their business developing and coaching programs. So again, business developing and coaching programs to help you double or triple your book of business. Call them today at area code 847-317-1575. Again, that's 847-317-1575. Or you can visit Sales Results, Inc. online at www.salesresultsinc.com. Now, back to our program, and again, uh, as always, if you have any questions about our show or propose a guest or a comment, you can find us at ALRPRA.com, and we have a comment section there on the website. You can send in information. So back to our program, Nancy, I want to uh, go back to our discussion and ask you uh, if you could identify, when you talk about marketing law, uh, if you could identify marketing and advertising law, some of the common practice areas that come to mind, so uh, where we have some attorneys listening today as well as business owners, well, again, what type of practice areas are these advertising and marketing law uh, issues coming from? Um, well, marketing law was the umbrella term that was used at my former law firm, and uh, coming from a marketing business background, I find it an apt description of a, a variety of legal topics that fit under that um, that title, um, it's rare that you hear someone actually utilize that term. Uh, I, again, my former law firm utilized it. I utilize it. Um, but I, you don't hear it very commonly. But it, it's to encompass anything that is supporting uh, the marketing effort. So if you think about the uh, four Ps of marketing back uh, in the day when I studied marketing, uh, product, place, price, and promotion, um, you know, anything that gets the product out there, including um, the product name, that would be the trademark, and, and uh, any packaging. There could be advertising issues that appear on the uh, packaging. Copyright could be implicated by that. Um, and sometimes even a product's liability attorney has to weigh in on the packaging um, in terms of safety issues for prescription medicines, for example, or uh, chemicals that might be toxic. And sometimes even an environmental lawyer has to deal with those. So it can have spillover into other um, areas. Um, the place would be the distribution, uh, one of the four P's of marketing, and distribution agreements, uh, licensing agreements um, for exploitation of uh, copyrights, trademarks, patents, trade secrets. Um, uh, one form of uh, licensing that we're all familiar with is, is what I call a license agreement on steroids, which is franchising. Um, so that's just a, a, a distribution method. Um, software agreements can fall under that because, again, the distribution of this copyrighted work uh, and sales of, of the product um, to the marketplace can often be done through a license or distribution agreement. Um, and, of course, um, we talked product, place, price, 
uh, sometimes you have to get into issues with is your pricing clear? Uh, does your price include, uh, you know, what is the warranty on that product and all of that? Um, you know, sometimes it gets into antitrust areas in terms of pricing. Um, uh, I stay away from that because it's a very complex area of the law, but uh, antitrust is responsible, for example, or antitrust laws, I should say, for why we have suggested retail pricing on certain items like reading cards. Um, because if you fix the price, uh, that would be a form of resale price maintenance, which uh, implicates antitrust law. That, that we've now exhausted my knowledge of, of that topic. <laughs> um, and lastly, promotion is the last uh, P of marketing. And, uh, of course, it's advertising, as we've discussed. And it gets into other forms like publicity, such as what you do for your, uh, your law clients and other clients. Um, and it could be golf sponsorship agreements or... Uh, other events where um, a marketing entity would want to sponsor or underwrite an event uh, in order to get appropriate goodwill uh, in exchange for that. And I have worked on promotional events uh, and drafted some of those contracts for you know golf tournaments and charitable runs or what what have you, and made sure that the appropriate uh, legal issues were were dealt with. Okay, so moving on from the four P's of marketing and some traditional um, aspects. Let's go uh, a little more uh, in-depth in a couple of the uh, intellectual property concerns, first talking about copyright and then talking about trademarks. And if you could, uh, with a brief general definition of what copyright is and what are its issues uh, for the layperson, I suppose, in, in advertising. Um, well, first off, I'm going to speak uh, about United States law because um, – that is the jurisdiction in which I practice, and if you're getting involved even in distribution of materials that go into Canada or into Europe uh, and you have intellectual property issues or advertising issues or other things, uh, these are going to vary jurisdiction by jurisdiction. But under current U.S. law, um, the copyright exists, uh, the federal statute exists to protect the creative expression um, of ideas. It does not protect ideas themselves, but it protects the creative output. Um, so ad copy qualifies for that. The text uh, references, the video, uh, you know, that may be done. And, uh, of course, someone who is creating that has to be worried about uh, if they're bringing in elements that may belong to someone else in terms of copyright. So, for example, if they're using music, um, you then have to be concerned from the rights holder of the music, do you have the ability to put that uh, music as background or even as part of um, the, you know, to sync along with the visual image that someone is seeing uh, in a television uh, spot or something that's displayed on the internet? Um, copyright rights can be very complicated because you have the, the music rights to the composition and you also have the performance of it. And uh, seeking out the appropriate rights holder can be tricky. Uh, and then if you have a sync license, that may be an entirely different group you have to talk to. But again, these are the issues. If you see a photograph and you want to use that in uh, print advertising material, if it's a brochure or a, a, it's a, uh, a billboard, um, you have to be worried about who owns the rights to that. And there is also right of publicity we can talk about a bit later, which can be implicated. But you just can't lift a photograph because you know, John Doe photographer may have rights in that picture. Um, trademark, shifting gears to the other question you could ask me, is a source identifier. It's either a slogan, a word, a brand name, a, you know, a um, style of lettering, a sign, anything that functions as a source identifier to the public and distinguishes one business from another. So most businesses, small and large, are going to have something that separates them from the pack. Um, a name, again, it could be a logo. Um, and unless you're a dry cleaner or barber, which are not trademarks but generic terms, uh, just about every small business is going to be dealing with that. So if you are using a slogan, uh, again, it's some kind of creative output, and it turns out that this snappy slogan that you've just decided to uh, put in connection with your business and adopt as a trademark has been used by someone else, you could be buying yourself a lawsuit. 
Well, let's hope that we're, our listeners are not going to buy themselves any lawsuits because they're going to take heed of such great advice. We have uh, one of those listeners on the line right now, so we're going to go ahead and take a caller. Caller, go ahead. Yes, uh, I have occasion to write ad copy for radio stations in my work, and I've always been curious as to where the line is when people are making patently false claims uh, uh, that you know are somewhat false. For example, uh, uh, that's why more people go to Smith's radio, uh, or Smith's, uh, radio sales store than any other store in town. Um, and, uh, where in fact you know perfectly well that they go to other, uh, stores or other appliance stores much more frequently than, uh, Smith's. Uh, what's the, uh, where, where is the line there? What can they say? What can't they say? Well, it, it, that's a very good question, and it really depends on the context of the wording. Again, adding words like, you know, we're the best would be generally puffing, and we are the best at, you know, producing a, a quality uh, machine that won't break down for five years is, you know, has a lot more factual components to it, and you'd better have the, the uh, backup to prove that. So when you have someone who's making an exaggerated claim, um, that kind of falls in the middle, you, you have to ask yourself from the ordinary observer test, would they be, you know, deceived by this? And um, and that's really kind of the acid test is what's the takeaway of the ordinary um, purchaser? Not an expert, not, you know, a particular judge, but what would the man in the street um, or ordinary observer believe? So sometimes if the, if there are words missing or there's an implied message um, that that could be equally problematic. Um, so one of my favorite examples to support what I'm, I'm uh, referring to here is when people say uh, doctor approved or <clears throat> um, doctor surveyed, you know, approve of this. And you think, well, how many did you ask? You know, doctor approved literally means only one. But did, did the average consumer think that there was sort of a vetting process that went on in the medical establishment? Um, so these can be very difficult questions, and sometimes there'll be survey evidence to uh, taken by, you know, depending on uh, whoever is bringing the false advertising charge to see what is the general takeaway from the public. Uh, so if you were a competitor, competitor to the uh, ad copy that you just mentioned, for example, and they wanted to bring a false advertising charge, they may well conduct a survey um, where people believe this to be true, and if they have the documentation that shows otherwise, um, then they may have the grounds for a false advertising charge. So in other words, if, uh, let's say, you could prove that uh, 50 to 100 people bought radios at uh, XYZ Appliance Store and 10 to 15 bought their radios at the store I'm writing the copy for, um, they were, could be liable with. They might be. You know, and, and maybe it's one of those things, too, that in, in defense of the, uh, I'm speaking for the defendant now, maybe it's one of these fluid things where their sales, you know, on average are going to be supportive. You know, that's always a difficult thing. What are you, what are you talking about? Are you talking today or this month? Or um, Usually it has to be true during the lifetime of the ad. Um, but, you know, as, as you point out, these, these issues can be of concern, and um, you know, it, anytime anyone is doing something that is is uh, presenting a false front to the public, I think you know there's a legal issue there. There's also an ethics component there as well. Are you really getting sales at the expense of uh, you know built on a, a false premise? I see. Well, I have to keep that in mind the next time I write something. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, caller. It's very interesting when we look at some of the you know, the reliability aspects and, and, and proof. I guess the best practice for people out there is to document and do their due diligence. Um, we have a couple minutes before our break. Do you have any brief thoughts on due diligence or diligence? As it's um, you know, if you're if you're writing ad copy review, what's some procedures you might take? talking to your client. Well, I think if somebody is is the middleman, you know, uh, you are the um, agency, you have to have a good trusting relationship with the uh, 
the company that is your client and you're relying on the facts and information that they're providing and if you're being fed false information, is there liability for you in disseminating it? Possibly. There have been cases where ad agencies have been charged with false advertising along with their clients. Now, most of those cases, I think the ad agency was actually knowing that it was, it was you know, a false situation. Um, but it puts them on the hook. Um, so that gives rise to indemnity claims that are often in the contract between the ad agency and their clients saying, you know, if we wind up getting sued because of information you provided us, you will protect us and defend us in those lawsuits and you'll pay the bill. Um, so that might be something for the ad agencies to consider, that, uh, putting an indemnity clause, if they don't have one now, uh, to protect themselves. Very good idea. Such good advice. This is a very valuable show here. As Again, Attorney Ducharme has pointed out that so many people are working in doing uh, marketing and advertising through different fronts. And social media has certainly opened up the door to many more people working in these areas, and especially now where we hear about, and I love this title, The Cult of the Amateur is a rather popular book. Uh, and you'll find that nowadays uh, more people can enter into the arena of advertising and marketing. So we'll be uh, talking about a few more of these things after the next break. Also, we're going to ask Attorney Ducharme to answer a question that has just developed, and that question was regarding uh, her earlier comments on trademark. What are the rules where some things are uh, known to be trademarks and other slogans or words are thought to be a very broad and universal, and, and people are having a hard time potentially determining if it's a trademark or not, and Kleenex is what you know comes to mind for me. So we'll ask about that and then move into some other uh, issues of law after our second break. So, And at this time, during the halfway part of the show, we bring you the daily legal news, always from the AM Law Daily. Uh, today's uh, comments come from, and again, February 28th, this was posted. The article is entitled, The Schools of the Big Firms Love, University of Chicago and Harvard. So our, our own University of Chicago uh, in our neighborhood uh, here and uh, Harvard. So this is posted by Tom Huddleston, Jr. Uh, text reads, only four law schools can boast that more than half of their 2010 graduates landed associate gigs at the 250 largest law firms in the country, according to a special report today by the AMLAW Daily Sibling publication, The National Law Journal. The NLJ's survey of go-to law schools shows that the University of Chicago Law School had the highest percentage, 58.97 percent, of 2010 graduates ending up at NLJ 250 top firms. Cornell Law School had 58.33 percent, was not far behind. Columbia Law School and the University of Pennsylvania Law School can also boast a majority of graduates landed up at top firms. The report ranks top 50 schools for percentage of graduates who were hired as first-year associates at the top firms. The ranking does not reflect graduates who took jobs at judicial clerks after graduation. Statistics for report were developed, provided by the law schools and the law firms surveyed for, by the NLJ 250 rankings. So for more about this article and more AM daily legal news, you can search for the AMLAW Daily Legal News and find more information on that story and others. Our next commercial sponsor is from uh, Get Clients Now program and Jim Thompson. Are you a sole practitioner or work in a small law firm and want to get more clients? Well, if this sounds like you, then there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you need to talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. He'll help you take crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring guest on our Law Talk radio programs the first Thursday every month, where we talk about networking, marketing, and other topics. After retiring from a fulfilling career as a trial lawyer, Jim devoted his time and uh, efforts towards helping young attorneys and transitioning attorneys find more clients. So to learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please, please visit MidwestConsultants.net. Again, that's MidwestConsultants.net. And also check out their testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. 
Now, as we go back to our show, we want to take this opportunity to remind our listeners that they can share our broadcast links within their social networks. Again, many people find our shows using their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank all of you for your support in sharing our programming. Now back to our program. Again, our guest is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. And we opened up the first segment by talking a little bit about the background of marketing and advertising law. In our second segment, we talked in more depth about some of the practice areas and uh, marketing and business issues in which we see advertising copy review uh, arise. Now, uh, before our break, I asked Attorney Ducharme about the question about trademark. As we were talking about trademark, the question is, what happens when we find a slogan or name um, and we believe that, we're, well, we're not sure if it's a trademark, it's something of common use? Um, you know, what are some things to look at there? Um, well, ideally you should have a trademark attorney working with you to ensure that uh, the mark is available. Um, there can be, let's just take a word, not necessarily slogan, but you can have the same word that has usage and is a brand for non-competing businesses. And think of Delta, for example. You have Delta Airlines and you have Delta Fawcett Company, and they're both well-known in their respective fields, but they're both sharing that common word. Um, and you could have a fraternity that has you know, Delta in it as is, is, uh, the first uh, identifier. So you can have multiple uses of a term. One of the fallacies of trademark law is uh, people think that a trademark registration for example, which is a wonderful thing to have, is an asset, uh, but somehow that removes the, the word from the English language and that others are forbidden from uttering that word or they have to you know, send a check to the trademark owner, and, and that's not true. Um, and, in fact, you can name a competitive brand in your own advertising. Pepsi can name Coke and vice versa. Um, what you have to be careful of is you're not putting the competitor's brand in such large uh, letters or such a prominent way that uh, you could be accused of uh, poaching their goodwill um, or establishing some sort of affiliation or false sponsorship, or that there's a relationship between you. Um, so the uh, picking a brand, making sure that uh, it is available and, and doing the appropriate trademark clearance and searching uh, is important. Um, you had asked me before the break about, you know, Kleenex. Um, that would be an example of misuse of someone else's valuable trademark. Um, there's a whole spectrum of marks which trademark scholars talk about, weak to strong. What is off the charts completely are generic terms. As they say, dry cleaner, um, hair salon, um, barber. You know, these are generic terms that anyone is, is free to take. Um, as you select a, a, a term that's maybe more descriptive, like, you know, printing graphics company, you're you're conveying what you do to the public. It's not a generic use, but you're just a step up. Um, those are weaker marks, hard, harder to protect, but, you know, over time, sometimes they can graduate and, and gain uh, what's known as secondary meaning or fame and fortune. Um, but what's the problem is sometimes there can be even a, a stronger trademark, a distinctive mark, like Kleenex, which is a fanciful word. It, it has no particularly mean, particular meaning in uh, English, uh, but people can start to use it generically to refer to the tissue uh, or Jello. That would be another example, or Xerox uh, marks that are so popularized uh, that people begin to use them as nouns or verbs. Uh, and the risk for the brand owner is that uh, there have been instances in the past where a court has ruled that those generic verbs and nouns are now causing the trademark to lose its value as a brand, and therefore it becomes the generic uh, identifier. So aspirin and escalator are two examples of terms that were once brands but no longer hold that value. So what that means for the Kleenex uh, folks and what it means for Xerox and um, other similar marks is they have to vigilantly police the media and make sure that people are indeed using their trademarks as a mark and not as a verb. They have to snuff out those uh, bad uses wherever possible. Okay, thanks for answering those questions. I'm sure that uh, the uh, originator of the question uh, will appreciate that. So a couple other questions that I had. Um, some things that I've seen before uh, come up in confusion are use of celebrity images. What are some of the rules on celebrities? 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, celebrities have a um, trademark of sorts in their persona and images. Um, so you might have a trademark in the name of the celebrity. There are a lot of celebrities who've registered uh, their names as trademarks, and they will license the use out. Um, but beyond the uh, the name, you also have their image, their their look. Um, so if you are adopting or appropriating that image, you have to be concerned uh, in an area of the law that's known as the right of publicity. Um, in some jurisdictions, that is protected under state statute, and in other jurisdictions, it's protected under what's known as common law, <laughs> traditional law. Um, so. And you've also got a, uh, an underlying concern in, in the, uh, let's assume you have the clearance of the celebrity. They're, they're fine with it. They have no problem with it. Or you've entered into a contract with them that you are permitted to use their, uh, their image to promote your brand. Um, you have to be concerned with the copyright on that particular image because, once again, who took the picture? That is the owner, most likely, um, or whoever purchased those photography rights is the owner of the copyright. You have to make sure you have that. And lastly, if you're using the celebrity to endorse the product, you, you have possibly a false advertising claim um, that is at issue. Uh, if you have the celebrity who is stating that they think this is the best product ever for whatever it does, best automobile or the tastiest uh, chicken on the market, and in fact, uh, let's just say that it was a fast food uh, company and a well-known celebrity said this is the best chicken sandwich I've ever tasted, and it turns out that that person's a vegetarian and that they you know, have dietary issues and they never, ever eat chicken, then that endorsement testimonial would actually be a false claim um, and would, would constitute false advertising. So again, it, it looks like a simple thing, and you might think, well, okay, we have the right to the ph photograph. We've cleared that. We have the, uh, the celebrity's um, permission to, and we're paying them, you know, to be our paid spokesperson here. But once again, you've got to think about the, uh, the advertising issues. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> if you think of any uh, real-life stories that you can talk about that are in public knowledge, uh, you know, let us know. Feel free to chime in with if anything comes to mind. Um, I'm looking for other potential words, phrases, images. What, what are some other things other than uh, celebrity names and, and publicity rights that come to mind that you should avoid or think about? Um, well, there, there are a number of different concerns that can come up. Um, there are, if you use the word free, for example, and this is a, you know, well-known uh, promotional uh, technique is someone will say, well, we're going to give this product away for free. You know, you buy this item and you get this other second item free. Um, the Federal Trademark Commission actually has a guideline on the use of the word free, uh, and I don't know that many people actually follow that guideline <laughs> to the letter um, because it requires that you disclose at the time of the ad, you know, within the ad itself, um, which now you're all going to think about those commercials you see with that small type that's you know scrolling across the page, um, which is hard to read and is you know moving very qu quickly. Um, but you are to disclose at the time um, of the offer, the free offer. What are the terms and conditions that go along with that? You know, usually there are restrictions. So let's say I'm offering you a free item. What is the purchase? of that item? What must I buy to get that? What are the dates of the offer, the beginning and the, the end date of that offer? So if I you know, show up a day after it has ended and I try to get that item for free, I'm going to be you know, refused, and rightly so, because there was a, a time limit. Um, so these are some of the issues. You have to put all the terms and conditions associated with the offer in a prominent way. And, and most people don't do that. And I think there's sort of a, an understanding that uh, the FTC is not, or a state attorney general is, is going to be somewhat tolerant of that. But if you fail to have even the mouse type, even the small you know, disclaimer with the asterisk, if you didn't have it at all, uh, you're really running the risk of a false advertising or even a breach of contract action where someone is claiming that, you know, that we're accepting your, your, uh, your offer here, or your invitation to offer, if you want to look at an ad that way. And um, you know, now you're suddenly changing the rules of the game downstream. Mm. So, What about images? Any images that come to mind? Are there any rules to remember there? 
Um, the image has to match, once again, the author. I remember, and I, I can't disclose the nature of this discussion because it's client confidential, but I recall a particular a piece of ad copy I reviewed a number of years ago, and there was, in fact, a free item that was going to be given away. It was a very sleek uh, device. It was very nice. It would be something anyone would want. And I asked the standard question to the client, is this, in fact, what someone, you know, consumer is going to get? Well, no, we have an old, you know, warehouse full of these old clunky devices that we're, you know, a couple generations old, and those are the ones we're actually going to get rid of because we couldn't figure out a way of, of uh, getting them out of the warehouse. Um, and I said, you know, you can't do that. You, you cannot lure people in with the idea that they're going to receive a, a really nice item and then instead be, be provided with something that's, uh, you know, well below the expectation level. So um, common sense has to dictate here, too, you, you know. And beyond the legal issue, you're going to generate a lot of unhappy uh, customers and, you know, service calls to the uh, complaint department are going to be way up and uh, – why bother with that? Yeah, well, I know the people will put it on Yelp, they'll put it on Facebook. These things are happening. So we're going to pause for a short break and then be back for a final segment. Of course, anyone who is uh, recently turning in, you're listening to uh, ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. This is the 45-minute uh, break where we bring you law practice management resources. And today, our first law practice management resources comes from the ABA Web Store and ABA Publishing. The title of today uh, is Mastering Voir Dire and Jury Selection, Gain an Edge in Questioning and Selecting Your Jury. It's the third edition. This much-anticipated and expanded third edition by one of the nation's most experienced trial consultants goes far beyond other books on jury selection and focuses on the skills needed to conduct effective voir dire and jury selection. Ultimately, improving your chances of a favorable verdict at trial, this valuable guide will help you understand an effective voir dire and jury selection strategies and then adapt them to unique circumstances you face in your trial jurisdiction. So again, that title is Mastering Voir Dire and Jury Selection, Gaining an Edge in Questioning and Selecting Your Jury, brought to you by ABA Web Store and ABA Publishing. Our second law practice management resource is the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. When you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you'll receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published by the Attorneys in Transition site, and I hope that you stop by and leave your comment at attorneysintransition.com. Now, our third practice management resources is our very own ALRPRA Practice Management Services. We offer hourly consulting and fixed-fee project-based services in systems development for your office management, as well as our core business activities in public relations, marketing, technology, management, and finance. Our webinars and hands-on desk reference materials are available for attorneys in transition, especially anyone launching a solo practice. Please visit our At Work page at alrpra.com for more information. Our final commercial sponsor for the day is credit damage expert George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas such as personal injury, employment law, family, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder is available for consulting on damage to credit reputation. His website is creditdamageexpert.com, again, creditdamageexpert.com, where you can find more information about George Finder and his expert services. Now, before we go back to our final uh, segment, we want to, again, remind people that if they have any questions about our show or comments, 
or especially if you have any counterpoints to offer, please send us a note at alrpra.com through our contact page, or you can also uh, find uh, my, you can send it to me directly by nick at alrpra.com as an email, or also you can go onto Facebook and find our Law Talk Radio fan page. All you need to do is go to Facebook and in the Facebook search bar type in Law Talk Radio, and you should find us and like us there. So, all right, back to our show. Uh, for some final comments and questions with Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme, again, talking about ad copy review today. Um, I guess for the final segment, Nancy, we could talk about what you're likely to expect um, when things do go wrong and if you get sued. Uh, what should you be anticipating? Uh, I know that they're all different things that are statutory or, or, or not. Uh, what What can people expect, I suppose? Um, if things go wrong, I guess uh, maybe the least objectionable, you'll get a cease and desist letter from someone who is letting you know of their disapproval of whatever it is you have done. And uh, sometimes those can be resolved with a promise that you will uh, not do it again and uh, you will refrain from it. Sometimes in a, a um, short campaign, maybe uh, you know, maybe that's a strategic move. I've, I've heard that said before. We will uh, you know, you can ask permission first, or sometimes it's it's better to ask forgiveness later, uh, ask for forgiveness, I should say. Um, so, you know, sometimes maybe that was a deliberate strategy. You knew that this was going to be a, a risky campaign, and, and you went for it anyway. Um, and depending on the life of the campaign or, you know, if you came up with a slogan, you were anticipated a, a long uh, life, then, um, you know, now that could, the cease and desist could, could somewhat derail you. Uh, someone could sue. Uh, they they don't have to send you a polite letter <laughs> to let you know or a forceful letter. Uh, they could just run to court, uh, seek an injunction to stop it, um, or in, and seek damages as well, um, or both. Um, so, uh, and if it's a government entity, they can start an enforcement action and an investigation, um, and then you will have to be dealing with a regulatory authority uh, that has jurisdiction. They have the power to, um, for example, the FTC, uh, to issue an injunction, a stop order. Uh, they can assess fines, which are payable to them. They can order, you know, restitution. So there are a number of things that uh, could be, you know, bad events that could occur from uh, from not being prudent in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, any big cases come to mind, or any examples of a type of a suit? Um, where someone, let's say a marketing company, went through a major ad campaign and then... You know, I'm sure there are more recent examples. Um, I was just thinking about uh, a really bad um, product demo ad that was done a number of years ago, and um, it it featured a a car that had a great reputation for um, sturdiness in, in the event of a rollover accident, and the ad agency um, had concocted a campaign where they were going to have, uh, you know, an animal, it was an elephant or, you know, something else, I can't remember now, a lion or some other large um, animal that was walking on the roof of the uh, this car to demonstrate, you know, that the support roof struts were going to be so sturdy and, and you know, you could just imagine that your family would be protected in the event of a rollover. Well, and then they'd show it walking on the competitive automobiles, and, of course, they collapsed immediately. What wasn't known at the time was that they had reinforced the, uh, the their own product and, and uh, had sort of gamed the uh, the ad copy, and that was it turned out to be a, a very large expense in terms of fines. I, I think the ad agency lost the client. Um, a lot of bad publicity resulted, and, and it was almost needless because I, I don't think – I think it was a distraction from the fact that indeed this company company's product did enjoy that that kind of reputation was well known for having some good safety measures. So this false demo that occurred um wasn't really necessary. It was a very dramatic um and memorable ad, but it led to a very bad result in terms of false advertising. Um so you know these cases can tend to be very you know, get a lot of publicity, particularly in, in uh, the trade, uh, and be shared as war stories with others. So that's just one that, that comes to mind. I'm sure there's some more, uh, more recent egregious examples. On social media, I read recently, too, that the FTC has gone after 
um, people who are posting um, favorable comments, let's say on Yelp or on um, maybe some review uh, areas, even on Amazon, where there's a chance for consumers to rate the product or to review, what happens if they try to game that by having employees, uh, you know, submit submit that where they're not really objective third parties or it's not a real consumer, but now you've got someone who's got a bias, uh, an inherent um, interest perhaps for their own job uh, to post something that's maybe not reflective of their accurate feelings, but something that um, they're almost like a, a shill for the corporation in, in a way. And, and, you know, those the FTC is looking at things like that in his um, uh, investigated situations like that in the past. So, again, even the social media, it's, say it's um, new wine in an old bottle, it, it doesn't really change the rules of the law. It just pr uh, provides new outlets for people to, to have mischief done. Uh, you, you've got to be concerned to uh, make sure you're, you're not uh, getting in, into trouble. My, my, and those are very good points. And I, I have also heard that about uh, you know, people screaming fraud um, where companies will, again, um, I guess, uh, folks along their reviews from internal sources. My final question is sort of a leading question, um, and I, I, it's more of a suggestion as well. If you are working at an ad, advertising, or marketing company, and you have insurance, I wonder and suggest possibly that there's a level of diligence in, required um, in not not bringing on lawsuits, and, and just uh, it seems like some companies could be rather negligent by not seeking outside help. And if I were an insurance company, that was that would be one of the first questions I would ask in trying to deny a claim. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, um, I you know I certainly can't speak for the uh, insurance defense bar. Uh, you know I don't represent insurance companies, um, and I, I'm not really familiar with their their review practice, but. In the few instances I have seen that have dealt with um, copyright infringement claims where insurance companies have been asked to cover uh, an advertiser who is engaged in copyright infringement in the, uh, in the ad that's at issue in litigation, uh, there have been instances where the um, insurance company will deny coverage on the basis that it was an intentional act. Um, you know, it's kind of like you're not going to get car accident insurance coverage if you, you know, deliberately drove your car off the bridge. You know, that wasn't, gee, I, I, you know, oops, the foot slipped off the pedal and I don't know how I wound up off the bridge. When you deliberately brought, drive off the bridge, that's an intentional act. You know, accident insurance is not going to cover that. And that's sort of the same thing. Um, I've seen that same approach taken to denying coverage claims when they're dealing with intentional torts. So if you, you knew what you were doing when you disseminated that ad, you knew it was infringing, uh, you knew that it was false advertising, you know, you may not have any insurance coverage at all. Mm. And, and one last point I want to mention, too, um, you know, who has to be concerned about this? Anybody that's putting themselves out there marketing-wise, we're, we're talking about ad agencies, certainly, because they're the, um, you know, this is their bread and butter of their business, um, what they do. But there could be in-house companies, if it's a small company and maybe they don't work with an outside agency, um, you know, even a small local newspaper, they have advertising concerns just the same as, you know, some national publication um, ad copy may trigger. And even nonprofits, you know, if they're putting themselves out there, and they've got some special concerns because if you are raising money for nonprofits, you may have to register as a solicitor uh, with the state attorney general in your jurisdiction um, because some states are, are watchdogs and where is that charitable dollar going? So really any entity that's putting themselves out there to the public and marketing themselves in any way has to be concerned with the issues we've discussed this afternoon. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Nancy Ducharme. If we could, again, encouraging uh, anyone who has questions about ad copy review to seek a qualified uh, advice from a professional and or attorney. Um, some contact information if anyone has questions? Yes, um, I'm, my contact information is available on my website, uh, which is www.nkdlaw, that's one phrase, .com. And um, I'm always happy to uh, have an initial phone consultation with clients and happy to meet with them if necessary as well. And uh, 
I, I appreciate the opportunity. Phone number? 708-444-7900. All right. Well, thank you to Nancy K. Ducharme, and thank you also to our guests out there who listen to our shows, share them on Facebook, call in with their questions, email their questions, and suggest new programming. Again, we'd also like to thank our commercial sponsors for today's broadcast. We'd like to thank, number one, Mary Erlane of Peak Marketing Sales and, and LMI Riverside. Second, Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Third, Steve Fretson and Sales Results Incorporated. Fourth, Jim Thompson and Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. And fifth, credit damages expert George Finder. Some upcoming shows we want to let you know about. Uh, March 1st, we have Yehuda, Yehuda Kagan from XV Technology Corporation in Houston will be our guest to talk about IT outsourcing, disaster recovery, cloud computing, and law firm technology, so all IT matters related to law firms. Then on March 3rd, Jim Thompson and I will be talking about law firm systems. We're talking about streamlining practice management activities and sharing some tips that law firms can implement immediately. On Friday, March 4th, John Gilland is a senior consultant from Kroll on Track, and he will be our guest to talk about the impact of social media on jury selection and consulting. So, again, um, that follows the story that was published in the Washington, um, well, I believe it was the Washington Post, um, very recently, and also is on our blog. You can see that article at ALRPRA.com on the blog uh, tab. And, again, the article talked about uh, the use of uh, Facebook and other social media channels for those engaged in jury selection. So a widely debated topic. We'll have uh, John as our guest on Friday the 4th. Again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary and are based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. This program is politically neutral and objective, and counterpoints to views expressed are always welcome. ALRPRA does not necessarily endorse the opinions expressed by all guests. Finally, all callers remain confidential, and rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA. Again, these Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information. They can be used to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. <laughs>